Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. I have an important announcement to make before we get into things. It is summertime, as you might have noticed me mention in the last couple of episodes. It is hot. <laughs> but that's not the announcement. The announcement is that for this season of the year, summertime, we're going to enter into a, a bi-weekly episode release schedule. So starting with today, every other week, we'll release a new episode. And we'll do this for the summer. Hopefully in the fall, we can go back to weekly episodes. But for right now, this, this is going to be a good idea. We are in the tail end of our series in Galatians. We should reach the end of it very soon. We're getting into the last chapter today. Today, we're going to focus on the first five verses of chapter six. So chapter six, verses one through five. So buckle in, strap on your helmet, put on your floaties. Uh, We're going to dive in. When you work for something, it's always good to see results come from it. Like if you're working a job, that paycheck at the end of the month is super nice. If you're working the ground in an agricultural sense, when crops start to grow, it's not only reassuring that life still works the way that it should, but it's a feather in your cap because you did that. This is literally the fruit of your labor. Now, in the last episode, we looked at something called the fruit of the Spirit, which was contrasted with something called the works of the flesh. It was made evident in this passage, that the fruit of your labor, as it were, really had just no meaning before God. It was just the work of your flesh. It was insufficient. And it, in fact, it was was more than insufficient. It, It was competitive. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Throughout this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, there is a a sub-theme about the Holy Spirit's indwelling of believers. We start out with talking about the law of the Old Testament, how it imprisoned everyone under it with the bondage of a, a holy morality. It was instituted under the most righteous and the most holy God. Now, don't get me wrong, the law is wonderful. It really is, because it gives 613 examples of God's worldview. But because of mankind's sinful condition, the law, it just proved God's righteous judgment. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7. The very commandment that brought me life, or that promised life, sorry, I misread that, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But did that which is good then bring death to me? Well, no, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful 
beyond measure. This was mankind's position before Christ came. We were imprisoned under the law because it proved God's judgment. Now, when Christ came, he fulfilled the law in a way that no one else could. Christ, being the Son of God, having God's nature, fulfilled the law in every way that it was meant to be filled. Then, in a a sacrificial act, he died a death that he did not deserve. And in this death, Christ offered himself as a spiritual substitute for any to escape the righteous wrath of God. And three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he took his place before God the Father as an intercessor for any who believed in his sacrifice. But when Jesus went to the Father, the Holy Spirit was commissioned by him to indwell and reside with every believer who accepted Christ's substitutionary work of salvation. Through this faith in Christ, we are credited and dispensed the righteousness of God. Now, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we enter a process of renewal away from our sinful condition. Paul said it in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul also said in chapter 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul's speaking to the substitutionary work of Christ as it was Christ who suffered the death of crucifixion, but it was for the purpose of saving you and and me. So in this way, we have died to our old nature, but if we carry this analogy along with us, then we have to admit that we still carry that corpse with us. We have died through Christ, And with that death has gone our our sinful passions and desires, but we still live in our physical bodies. Because of this, the Holy Spirit who indwells in us works to renew our minds and produce in us fruit of spiritual growth. Notice what some of them are. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And self-control. Why is self-control mentioned? Because through Christ, we have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. And now, we're able to live in the victory of Christ's resurrection. However, we must continue living on this earth in our fleshly bodies. Through Christ, we have victory, and that victory lives with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, self-control as a fruit of the Spirit is necessary until we attain sanctification or complete sanctification before the throne of God. The Holy Spirit is vital for our life here on earth because without Him, 
the works of the flesh will be the only thing that we submit to. But through freedom of Christ and with the opposing nature of the Holy Spirit, we are able and, and empowered to live, or Paul liked to say, walk in the Spirit. So all of this leads us to the conclusion that believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit will continue to live out their days on earth in their fleshly, physical bodies, striving to die to self and live in the Spirit. This is an impossible task, which is why we were given the Holy Spirit. He is our helper in the most divine sense. Let me just give a shout out for the Holy Spirit right now. The Holy Spirit enables and fully equips those that he indwells for the service of God. You know the Spirit of God that would indwell people for like certain periods of time in the Old Testament? That's the same person we are indwelt with now. We don't have to pray prayers like David where he said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We, we have been sealed with him. He resides with us. The Holy Spirit makes daily victory possible. And don't confuse this victory with self-willed achievement. These victories are only through the grace of God and for the purposes of dying to self and living in the Spirit. Now, the passage that immediately precedes all of this, all of this knowledge, is Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This passage carries the information and it addresses an important community aspect. This is what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice the words being used and also remember the context for this vocabulary. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Remember, just a few verses away, Paul had said, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, you who are spiritual. Notice the situation that Paul presents. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So Paul is presenting an example, but it also doubles as like instruction about the opposition of natures. First, he sets the stage for who he's addressing, brothers. So this is addressed to members of a church, brothers and sisters in Christ. This, this does not apply to people outside of the church. Brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So again, this goes to show that people do not become sinless once 
they become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. People don't lose their sinful natures once they're saved. But the Spirit is able to reside with sinful people because of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's, it's through the blood of Jesus, the, the payment of Jesus, that we are given the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit opposes the nature of our flesh. And in this struggle, we have a lot of control. We are free-willed people by original design. Or maybe a better way of saying that is self-willed people. And we have a tendency to sin or to transgress the ways of God. So, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, for those that are walking by the Spirit and have made progress in dying to self, these people, you who are spiritual, should approach those who have transgressed and restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Now, with that last bit, it's clear that we're not supposed to approach them within our own power. Gentleness was just listed as something that comes from the Spirit. So we're, we're, we're to walk in the Spirit towards those who need restoration. And this is fortified with the, the warning of keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's the second half of verse 1. Galatians 6, uh, 1b. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wait, the law of Christ? Wait, but I thought we, we weren't bound by the law. What's this law of Christ? That's a good question. That's the exact question Paul wants us to ask, because he has just spent hundreds of words explaining that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of the Old Testament and that through him, we now live in a freedom that he provides. But Paul makes it clear within this freedom that we're given, freely submit yourselves to one another. I'll read it. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is not a, a new ordained ordinance. It, it's it's the lifestyle and the natural state of life with the Spirit. It is a willful submission produced from love. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The common thread here through these verses is a warning. 
We are called to love one another. But something Paul has addressed throughout this letter is that mankind often tries to fulfill like the ways of God without God. If we were to love one another, to offer correction to one another and help bear one another's burdens, the sinful condition of man will take opportunity and promote pride. Like verse three says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This deception becomes established in accomplishment. I love that person. I love that person so much, I put them first, above myself. I corrected that person. I got them back on track. I helped carry that person through their problems. I did that. Verse 4 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In this freedom that we're given, we must act responsibly and not give opportunity for the flesh. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Simply put, we need to love each other without pride, without becoming conceited, without cultivating a a false humility. We need to love each other with the love of Christ and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to love one another without becoming puffed up. Remember, we're supposed to submit to each other. We're supposed to serve one another in the freedom that was bought with the blood of Christ. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Tempted by what? The same transgression as your brother? Not likely. The temptation of pride? The feeling of superiority? We are a prideful people, and we look for any opportunity to cushion our ego. <laughs> you know what guys often ask each other when they, when they first meet new people? They ask this, they ask, so what do you do? Meaning, what's your occupation? What, what, what do you do to fill up your time? What, what have you accomplished? And this is more than just a conversation piece. This is a, an assessment. The guys are trying to see where they stand among each other. Oh, you do that? Oh, okay. Oh, you do that? Okay. Right, okay. It's a measuring game. How important are you? What do you do? Now, for women, I've... 
I found that the typical question is, so who are you with? It's not dissimilar. It's just a different value system. It's, it's much more focused on connection, uh, relationship. Who are you connected to? Who do you know? Maybe more importantly, who knows you? We are a prideful people. We look for any opportunity to cushion our ego. It is very easy to become prideful in how you love people. Like I said at the beginning, when you work for something, it, it is. It's always good to see results from it. To, to love someone who needs to be loved and then to finally receive reciprocation. Or to offer mentorship to someone and then see positive growth come from that. That'll do it. We take pride in the results of our work. It's not just a, a reassurance that we did something good or maybe accomplished something. It's a feather in our cap. It's progress for becoming better or maybe more important than other people. But the problem with this is that it flies in the face of what Jesus did for us. Even though he actually was more important than us, he became a servant to us. He submitted himself and took punishment that he didn't deserve. He took our punishment. We are called to imitate his love by submitting to each other. There is no room for pride in this submission. That's why Paul makes it clear that we need to walk by the Spirit, especially when we love each other through correction and encouragement. We need to leave our pride at the door and love each other with the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to love one another without pride. My brothers, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Hey, thanks for joining today. Pride is a weird thing where it can manifest itself in all kinds of different places in your life. Who would have thought that loving other people could have produced pride? <laughs> Incredible stuff. Incredible. Uh, it's also very resilient. So be careful with how you deal with that. Again, let me remind you that we are going to be entering uh, a, a bi-weekly release schedule starting with this episode. We'll do this for the summer and come fall, we'll try to go back to weekly episodes. Thank you for sticking around. If you need to find something to, to fill the gap week that we're going to have now, I would suggest go back and listen to one of our older episodes. Uh, we tried to make it uh, like evergreen content so that it never goes out of style or uh, vogue or something. So just go sift through that, see if there's anything you missed. Uh, but until the next time, I'll catch you later.